0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer and she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers, and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 175 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest this week is Fitz Kohler. Fitz is the author of the book, My Noisy Cancer, Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life. And Fitz is a fit fitness expert. That's a mouthful, I almost stumbled on that one. And also hosts her own podcast called The Fitness Show. That's F I T Z N E S S. You can also learn more about Fit at her website fitness.com and you can follow her on social media at fitness. She's a powerhouse. She really as I really enjoyed talking to her and talking about her breast cancer battle that uh, she went through and uh, what it meant for someone who has lived a life so focused on health and fitness to deal with a breast cancer diagnosis. So join me now for my conversation with Fitz Kohler. Fitz, welcome to We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. And where I want to start with my questions is, you know, I think us us cancer patients/slash survivors can just write a book of the things people say, right? Oh, you know, yeah, things people say. And I'm guessing, and I'll be surprised if I'm wrong. I'm guessing you have heard. Wait, someone is healthy and is focused on exercise like you got cancer? Yes. Have you heard have you heard that?
1: Yeah, I have. I mean, I'm as a fitness expert and I've been teaching for 30 years, you know, I do almost all of the things right. I'm not perfect by any um <laughs> I'm not perfect about anything in any way. Never have been, never will be, but I I I walk the walk, that's for sure. And yeah, people are shocked and so you know, while I don't enjoy it, nobody likes to be the exhibit A. I am the exhibit A of if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. And I'm also exhibit A of how early detection and self exam save lives. Because if I didn't find my own lumps less than seven weeks after a clean mammogram, you would be talking about me instead of to me.
0: And that's amazing in itself. Share that story, if you will. You know, how does somebody have a mammogram? And less than two months later, they find a lump that leads to a breast cancer diagnosis.
1: Yeah, you know, it's crazy. And I'll start by saying that I've always been radical about annual exams, eyes, paps, you name it, I want to get it done. Skin, particularly, I'm Irish, I'm fair, I'm a Floridian. But yeah, I had had all these mammograms, and I I just thought if I ever have one cancer cell on me, I want to know about it right away and crush it. And so December, late December of 2018, walk out of the mammogram with a clean bill of health, Post on Instagram, look at me, got my clean mammogram. Everybody, go squeeze your stuff. And then, less than seven weeks later, I was at a race weekend at Disney World, and I was just naked in the bathroom. And I rubbed my under boob. Thank goodness for that itch. And I felt it, and it, was, it felt like a bean that should not have been. And uh, this is where I saved my own life. I did not call my mom and cry about it. I didn't Google it. I didn't put my head in the sand. I picked up my phone and I called. Instantly, and within about thirty seconds of finding my bean, I had an appointment at my gyno's. And you know, it was a handful of days later. I had the mammogram, ultrasound, and not only did they see the tumor, but they saw several hard, swollen lymph nodes, which led to the punch biopsy, which led to the diagnosis. But I remember um, several radiology radiologists went back and looked at my scans in December, and they all said fits. It wasn't there. There was nothing. Um, she didn't miss it. And I said, "Okay, well, how does this happen?" And they said, "Well, it's got a uh, cancer's got to start sometime, right? There's no rule that said as you walked into the parking lot while leaving your mammogram, a cell couldn't go rogue, and uh, it did. And mine was a nasty sob. It was moving really fast, and I'm super grateful I caught it. That's all I can say is that." you know, I'm thankfully I'm comfortable with my body. And I want people to know that doctors don't creep into your bed at night and check under the sheets to see if you're okay. You have to bring your body in for checkups and then you have to be aware of red flags. And, you know, that bean was a red flag and I I jumped on it.
0: What was your doctor's reaction when you called them so soon after? Did... Did they take you seriously?
1: Oh, they did. Yeah. So I went into the gyno first. She felt the lump and said, yeah, let's get you some scans. And then I went back to that radiologist, Dr. Yancey, here in Gainesville at Music. I'd been seeing her for a long, long time. And I did the mammogram, then the ultrasound with the tech. The tech saw it. But it's funny. You know how the techs are. They're not allowed to say anything. So she was just kind of silent. And then my radiologist came in kind of jumpy. And I just knew right away that it was something bad by the way she was acting. Uh, but yeah, she, she was alarmed. And um, she said, Fitz, I can't tell you what it is. I can't diagnose you here. But, you know, it's definitely of concern. You need to go get this checked out. Um, and then what's interesting is the doctor, the hematology oncologist I got, I was told he was book solid and didn't accept new patients. But he accepted me. And I always thought that was weird. I thought, how on God's earth did I get in with Dr. Gordon, who's considered a god around Gainesville? And he's actually president of all Florida cancer centers throughout Florida. And um, my radiology oncologist later on throughout my treatment, because I kept wondering, how did I get in with Dr. Gordon? And she told me, she said, oh, they were nervous about you. They were really concerned. So yeah, yeah, I had a, I had a, fast moving it's funny, I'm a slow-moving athlete. I can do half marathons, but I'm never going to win anything. I had a fast growing cancer cell, so <laughs> I don't know why. little jerk well,
0: I'm thrilled to hear that you were taken seriously. I mean, I can just think of so many stories where a doctor would have blown a patient off and said, "Oh, you were just here, you know it's probably nothing. you
1: know, you know what? Kind of I was thing. from finding the lump, it was less than three weeks till I started chemo.
0: Wow, what was the actual diagnosis? In stage.
1: Um, invasive ductal carcinoma, something like that. But yeah, it was stage 2B, breast cancer. It was HER2 positive, estrogen positive. One doctor says I was progesterone positive. The other one says, no, you're on the border. You're negative. But fortunately for me, um, it's a very curable type of breast cancer. You know, within the scope of breast cancer, there's so many different types of breast cancer. And I, I do believe all cancers are like a snowflake and We have a lot of similarities, a lot of universal experiences, but, you know, each has its own little bratty attitude. And, uh, but my, my, my doctor assured me that they could beat this and they had a formula for beating it. So I just went along for the ride.
0: And it's been what, about two years now going on two years? Yeah.
1: So I was diagnosed in February of 2019 and then I finished chemo in mid May of 2020. So I did 15 months of chemo. And 33 rounds of radiation and several surgeries. Wow. Yeah.
0: And what's the status of your health today?
1: I am happily cancer-free, in remission, and I hope I can stay that way. You know, I think I'm confident I'll spend the rest of my life looking over my shoulder. But as it is right now, I feel good and I'm grateful for that.
0: What was your family's reaction? Also, you know, knowing your passion for fitness and running and healthy lifestyle, when you got that diagnosis, how did they react to the news?
1: So interesting. I mean, while the outside world, my my friends and fans from my profession, they, I think, were floored. My, you know, my kids, my husband, they just look at me as like the noisy mom. <laughs> they don't think of me as super fit or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just had the, my kids, they were resilient. I'll start by saying that I'm very grateful. They were resilient. My son handled this quietly and he held my hand a lot and gave me kisses. And when I told him, he told me, he said, when I told him what was going on, you know, I took the bad news, good news approach. I said, listen, I found a lump, went into the doctor. It is breast cancer, but it's curable. And, um, you know, I'm going to look kind of weird and I'm going to feel kind of bad, but I'm going to be fine. And so he said, well, mom, I think you're going to look cute bald. And I thought, oh gosh, thank you. <laughs> that was the sweetest answer. And, um, later he told me he didn't believe me. He thought I was dying, but, uh, we, he had just, one of his friends, moms just recently passed away from pancreatic cancer. So, um, so they had seen it up close and personal and that wasn't a good time. And then I told my daughter, gave her the shame, same, spiel Parker was 14 at the time. Ginger was 16. And man, she just sobbed. She, she wailed. It was painful. And, you know, it's amazing where I was still terrified for my life. Not, I was very uncertain. I fought tooth and nail to convince her I was going to be fine. And so it's, it's an interesting position to parent with cancer. And I know a lot of people can identify that it's, uh, you know, I, I was all, puppies and unicorns when it came to my kids. Oh, this one's going to be easy. I was terrified and so stressed. But when it was when it came to them, I would say, I'm gonna be fine. It's no problem. So so yeah, so they they certainly didn't say but mom, you're so healthy. They just thought about me as mom. And then uh, the rest of society. So I do I'm a professional race announcer. I host some of the largest running events in the United States. And You know, I get up in front of I've got 27,000 people do the Los Angeles Marathon. And I think we have 35,000 athletes at the Philadelphia Marathon. And, you know, I think those people were a bit more um, blown away by me being diagnosed.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brody Nicholas, and I have the honor of leading campaign one at a time. This month, we are sponsoring Spencer, a five-year-old cancer patient from Bath, Maine. Spencer is currently battling neuroblastoma and loves firefighters, bumblebee transformers, and Mickey. He loves Mickey and Disney so much that we're on a mission to raise $10,000 to send him and his family of eight on a trip of a lifetime to Disney World in Orlando, Florida. You can learn more about Spencer's campaign and how you can help by visiting wehavecancershow.com forward slash Spencer. Thank you so much for listening, and let's keep spreading good together so we can make more amazing memories possible for another brave kid like Spencer. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. So you told your kids, you know, I'm going to feel bad for a while, and your son (laughs) says you'll look good, bald, you know, and we tell ourselves things, you know, to encourage ourselves, and then reality sets in. Yeah and you got to the LA marathon with hair almost down to your butt right and ready to announce that and you notice right when you're getting ready to start announcing the race that that hair is coming out and that seemed like reality kind of hit you then
1: yeah you know i i had been um agonizing over the hair loss and it's funny cuz people were like oh it's your identity my, my hair was never my identity my you know i'm bossy I'm noisy, I'm full of science and motivation, you know i i that's who I am. My hair was just something I really enjoyed and I liked, and I think a lot of people can identify with that. It's fine, it's just hair, but what a nasty thing to say to somebody. It's not just hair. If it was just hair, we'd all shave it and not deal with it, right? So um, I did agonize over it, and i i s it started to fall out in the little bits on the Thursday night when I got on the flight Friday morning to go from Florida to Los Angeles. And I just kept hoping, please, hair stay on my head. And on Sunday morning, it just, the process had begun and it wasn't stopping. And I was on a stage on right in front of Santa Monica Pier by the ocean. And we're about 10 feet up in the sky or up in the, just 10 feet off the ground, not up in the sky. But anyways, it's windy. It's super windy. And our black stage was just covered with long blonde hair and i was definitely in agony so i was wearing sunglasses and i it was important to me that nobody knew what i was going through and and i decided that from the get go you know i would have kept the whole cancer thing to myself if i could have but i was going to show up bald and people were going to ask questions so i made a little video and i said hey guys this is what's going on. I got breast cancer. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to look different, but I'm going to be fine. I'm showing up. I mean, the video is still available on my social media accounts and it's almost adorable how, how, uh, I hate to use the word ignorant, but you know, I just innocent, maybe naive. I had no idea what I was in for. And then there I was on the stage with, uh, 25,000 athletes. And then all the friends and fans, we had TV coverage. My hair's falling out everywhere. And I have this big happy voice whenever I'm on the microphone, big booming joy coming out of me. And the second I get off the microphone, I just was sobbing. And my poor co announcer, Rudy Novotny, who's one of the nicest guys in the world, he was desperately trying to sweep the hair off the stage and um, trying to be silly to keep me laughing. I mean, it was just, it was gut wrenching. And Halfway through the day, I thought, I wish I could just call a stylist to come shave my head because I just wanted to get it over with. But I promised my daughter, who also shared the long blonde hair, she said, Mommy, please, when you do it, don't do it without me. I want to be there when you cut your hair. So I had to fly home with this head of pear that <laughs> was all over my flight. And I just, the whole thing was a catastrophe, but you know, I survived it. Welcome to what cancer was- treatment.
0: Right. And what was it like shaving your head with Ginger there?
1: Um, So yeah, it was uh, my husband, my son, my daughter. We gathered around the kitchen table. My stylist came over. I asked her to come to my house. She's a close friend. And I didn't want to bring my sadness to her salon. And so I invited her over. And when she showed up, it was like the Grim Reaper had walked in. I thought, oh God. And she said, I can leave. (laughs) I was like, no, come in and do it. So um, I sat there with my eyes closed. She separated my hair into two braids, tied at the top and bottom, cut them off, and we have one for each child. So they have these Ziploc bags with my braids in them. It's a little odd, and uh, and then I just covered my eyes and I cried. It wasn't tough and brave like a lot of people. It'd smile and drink wine. I was uh, I was wimpy about it, but you know it, it just, it's just the way I had to deal with it, right?
0: Yeah, you talked about. Parenting with cancer, which that could probably be a whole nother podcast. Probably, yeah, for sure. You know, um, talk more about that. What were what were some of the challenges? What were some of the things you learned when it came to, you know, having to continue to be a mom while you know needing the care yourself?
1: Yeah. So um, I I took the never let them see you sweat attitude. I tried to be as happy as possible. You know, I. I did a ton of crying. It's fine. Before cancer, I never cried, and people who cried, I always thought, "Oh, get a grip," you know. It just I, <laughs> who I was. And then I got cancer, and all of a sudden, I was crying all the time. I was crying alone, and I did most of it alone. I would cry alone in my bathroom or alone in my car. I just boohooed everywhere, and um, but I didn't want my kids to see that, so I tried to keep a stiff upper lip for them. I wasn't always successful. I I got violently ill very quickly. I took about three days and then it kicked in. The ke- My first round of chemo, I had, uh, for those listening who would recognize it, I had Taxotere, Carboplatin, who are considered very toxic combination, Perceptin, and Progetta. So I'd get all four for the first six rounds, which were every three weeks. So I got my first dose on a Monday. On Thursday, my stomach exploded and I thought it would go away. I thought it would just be like, oh, on Saturday, I'll feel better. I was, Tequila hangover sick for five solid months. So um, I ended up getting friends to help drive them to school and activities. And that really was my priority getting them around safely because I no longer was really safe behind the wheel. You know, towards the end of the round, when I, I'd start getting my feet underneath me, I was able to drive a little bit, but I suffer from dehydration and stuff. I just, So they had rides and people brought food twice a week, which was very, very appreciated. You know, those are, it's the little things, you know, I just thought, oh my God, I can't feed them. I can't take them to school. What good am I? Um, And then we made the decision not to bring my kids to any of my appointments. So I know a lot of people do things differently and maybe they take their family in as uh, we're all going to fight cancer together with chemo. I didn't want them to be in such a scary place. And Um, even though I was super sick, I was the least fragile of everyone. Many of my peers in that infusion center were very elderly and very thin and frail and sick. And I just thought I didn't need to scare them. So I didn't bring them to anything other than my bell ringing at the end of radiation. And they showed up in the lobby of the cancer center. Um, my, My last chemo was during COVID. So nobody was allowed back with me, but I came out. And my daughter and I would do fun little TikTok dances to celebrate um, the completion of certain things. So we, we had a great TikTok for radiation completion. And then we had a great one for chemo. But, um, but yeah, I just tried to shield them from as much as I could. And you know, when I was stuck in bed or on the couch, they would cuddle with me. They're, they're sweet little human beings. But I was grateful they had their own wonderful lives to keep them occupied. Um, that meant a lot.
0: What role did your husband play in all this?
1: Oh, gosh. He took care of all of us. And, uh, yeah, he kind of had to live as a single dad. You know, he had to do everything. And then he had to also take care of me. He was was wonderful. He brought me to and from most of my appointments. I mean, when I could drive, he's a police lieutenant. So, as you can imagine, that's a pretty demanding job. But um, he had... uh, Florida Medical Leave Act, which allowed him to take off work as needed. So he didn't have to just take six weeks off, which is great because my treatment lasted for 15 months. Um, So he just took off when necessary. Sometimes it was for a scan or chemo. He took off every chemo there, uh, excuse me, every chemo day. But um, when I got really sick, he would just take days off to be around. And I was very lucky to have him.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your book, My Noisy Cancer Comeback. Yeah. Why noisy?
1: Well, I'm a noisy person and I make a living (laughs) on a microphone. And this is probably as quiet as you'll ever hear me when I work. (laughs) People know I'm there and, you know, I'm bossy when it comes to fitness. They call me the bossy blonde. But um, yeah, I am noisy on the microphone. I'm, I'm famous for making happy noise. And. That's how I did cancer. I mean, I, I, my career was a, played a huge role, and I think my survival and thriving as much as humanly possible. So I decided as soon as I was diagnosed, I said, I am not giving up any of my events. I'm not giving up my career. I earned my rightful place on those stages. I love what I do. I love my events. I love my athletes. I'm not missing it. And um I also decided I wasn't giving up special time with my kids. I wasn't gonna miss it if my daughter cheered or my son graduated. So I was able to hold true to those commitments. I, I failed on some other things, plentiful, but but yeah, I did cancer noisy. Um I never I never missed a beat. And it's funny, I would I was I was so sick that I'd get off a plane and I'd go straight to a location for IV fluids. Or my race directors would arrange for a nurse to bring me IV fluids at my hotel. I mean, we really pulled a rabbit out of the hat for me to keep doing what I do. We had to work hard. But even if I spent the night on the hotel bathroom floor because I was sick, my alarm would go off, I'd get up, and i get dressed. And all of a sudden, I, the whole time thinking, oh, how am I going to do this? Oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? But I would get on my stages. And the second I did, it's as though someone hit my on switch, and you know the sickness and the suffering faded away, and I got to be full force Fitz Kohler again, and it was extraordinary. It was so fulfilling, rewarding, you know. And the and the people who knew what I was going through, they were so filled with love for me and kindness. I really um, was blessed. I was blessed to be able to have those moments of. Yeah, you know, I call him ecstasy, while in the middle of hell, you know, it was really, it was, it was spectacular. I don't know if I could ever duplicate that. Now, mind you, I paid the price on occasion, you know, I came home one weekend, and I, I had to get transfusions, I was hospitalized, I finished one race weekend, and I lost my voice for a week, and I had to be in another state the next week. So, you know, we were constantly fighting to get me back up to snuff to do my job, but um, but yeah, noisy. I was noisy the whole dang time, <laughs> and now I'm even noisier than ever. I'm ready for the world to turn back on again.
0: What was the motivation to write the book?
1: A couple things. So the first thing I um, thought was when you know, you know, when you go through chemo, you're going to be um, tired, probably feel sick, be bald. But there were all these weird, biz- weird bizarro side effects that kept kicking in. And I kept thinking, oh, my God, nobody tells you this stuff. How come nobody talks about this? This is right? insane. And then the side effects became so plentiful that it became funny. And I'm really sarcastic. And I just, I, I, I was laughing over, even though I was miserable and, you know, all this bad stuff. I caught, I thought people would get a kick out of this. And so I did not read any books while I was going through treatment. Um, but after I was done, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to start looking at other people's books. I just didn't want my writing to be swayed by someone else. So I've read like the biographies of Robin Roberts, Amy Robach, Jane- Joan London, and a few others. And mind you, wonderful women, brave cancer warriors, but they reveal very few details in their books. It's a little bit superficial. And I got into the nitty gritty, gory details. I mean, um, my my eyes changed colors. Nobody told me that could happen. My vision was shot. My fingernails rotted off while on my hands. You're looking. You're nodding your head, going, "Yeah." I, my nostril hair was gone. Nobody told me my nose would pour running the whole time. I mean, oh, I just right. Nobody tells you your nostril <laughs> hair falls out, and nobody really knows why your nostril hair is so important, other than keeping your brain fluid in. I guess so. Um, Until
0: people wonder if you're a coke addict or something, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, and so I'm. You're constantly sniffling. I'm still walking around with tissues, and God forbid somebody says like you're sick, go home because of COVID. I will punch them in their little face because my nose is running because of freaking chemo and the nose hair. So, um, so that was the first reason. I just thought someone's got to get into the nitty gritty details, and I did, and I think I did it in a very fun, fun and funny way. And then the other thing is that. You know, I suffered, yes. I had all the badness of chemo, yes. However, I still got, I feel like I truly lived during treatment, and that's because of perspective. You know, I I always knew that it could be worse, that someone's always got it worse. So I decided I would not complain at all, ever, and I didn't, and that's very hard to do. Now, I cried a lot, and um, I, I, I suffered, but I never complained. I included my passions, which is my work and my kids, and I think everybody should do that. I think everybody, whether you love music or art or animals, you should keep those things in your life. Even if you're stuck in the hospital and you can't be with animals, okay, well, watch funny little animal videos on the internet. There's a way to include your passions in your day to keep, I don't know, to keep you alive, to make every day count. And then the last thing was positivity. Positivity. You know, I, I, I learned pretty quickly that I wasn't going to score extra points for being the saddest girl in the room. And if somebody gave me a reason to smile or laugh, I was going to take it. And, you know, again, it was hard. It was brutally hard. And I hope I never have anything even close to that again. But I do believe that um, the, the perspective, passion and positivity really went a long way to, you know, survival and thriving. And so that's why I wrote the book.
0: I couldn't agree more. Thank you. (laughs) What role were you able to do any exercise during treatment?
1: Good question. Uh, Yeah, I thought I was going to be like, oh, I'll take three days off post chemo and then I'll be I'll get back to it. So uh, after my first rounds, I was able to exercise gently during the third week. And then um, for the next three months, I wasn't able to exercise at all. I was whacked. I was just done. I couldn't do anything and it would have done more harm than good. Um, Once I finished the mean chemo and they put me on a lesser drug, it's called Katsila, and people might recognize that too. I had that for 14 rounds every three weeks, so that was a long haul. But um, I was able to start creeping back to fitness, and it was the baby steps that mattered. Because I'm a fitness expert, thankfully, I had the knowledge to make that happen, but I would just get in the pool and wiggle around at first. You know, I was still weak and lethargic. And so I went from wiggling in the pool for five minutes to 10 minutes to an hour, just moving my arms around with a couple of pool strength training tools, very moderate. Um, Eventually, as far as cardio, when I uh, graduated to uh, swimming laps, biking, I I live on a steep hill. It's funny, I'm in Florida, but we actually have a steep hill that's 10% grade. And they call it killer hill. And so at after my six mean rounds of chemo, I would start going for a walk and I'd walk down around the back street, but then I couldn't get up my hill. I was too weak, so I'd have to call my husband and say, would you come pick me up? <laughs> and so I went from getting these rides up my hill, which is just a block long, I just couldn't do it, to he would walk with me and I would make him push me, hand on, his, hand on my back, push me up the hill. And eventually, I could walk up the hill, and so that's still, I walk up the hill almost every day with my dog, and I think, I can do this. Look at me. So, um so yeah, i was I was knocked out of chemo out of exercise for a while, but I've built back up. I'm still not all the way where I was before, but I've made really good progress with gradual increases, and I haven't hurt myself, which is great.
0: What's it meant to you, but to be able to get back to exercising now?
1: You know what? The first day I walked in the gym was like a fish being thrown back into water. I was so proud. I was so proud. It's, you know, it's not only physical for me and, um, it's mental. It's just who I am. I enjoy the process of exercising. I call dumbbells, my boyfriend. So, um, it doesn't mean everything, but boy, did it mean a lot. And, You know, am I weaker than I was? Yeah, but am I the most proud person in the gym? You bet.
0: I couldn't agree more. I just, you know, uh, I've got a few years on you, and uh, my bodybuilding days are long behind me. Wait a minute, I never had bodybuilding (laughs) days, but uh, but still, you know, being able to do a a two mile power walk, or since the, you know, I don't feel comfortable going into the gym anymore, I got a set of uh, resistance bands, and they take the place of, of weights. And it's not about the physical at no. all. It's all about between the ears.
1: Yeah, it you just, know? oh, it's it so really refreshing. Is. So, can I do a little bragging? Please. Okay, a little brag. So, I finished chemo mid May. And then, exactly one month later, I got my port out. Or, three weeks later, I got my port out. And then, a week after that, I went and did a Spartan 5K obstacle course race. Now, mind wow. you. I was so slow and I lost 13 pounds of muscle in the spring. So I was definitely a deflated version of myself, but I was able to go the distance. They have these strength app things like pick up a 50 pound ball. I couldn't do any of the strength stuff, but I kept going. I ran through knee high, hip high water. Um, I had so much fun. I laughed the whole way. I was probably the slowest person completing that event that day. And I was so proud and I got so dirty And then two weeks later, I took on a sprint, a mini sprint triathlon, which is still a little too long. And I was dead freaking last. I was on the bike. I I hyperventilated at least half of the distance. But while I was (laughs) pedaling along (laughs) hyperventilating, I thought, well, you know what? This is really hard, but this is so much better than the hard stuff I was doing the previous summer, which was in the midst of the mean chemo. So yeah, dead freaking last. And I was so happy. Look what I did. So it's really not about the finish time. It's about the finish line and really just participating. And I I felt very alive, even though I also felt like I might die at a few points. It was awesome.
0: I suddenly got this image of the Bill Murray movie "What About Bob," where they tie him to the mast to take him out on the boat, and they're yeah. going, and he's going,
1: "I'm sailing, yes, I'm, I'm sailing, <laughs> <laughs> I'm running," right? <laughs> oh gosh, like yeah. a turtle, but that's okay, yeah. or a snail, yeah. even slower than a turtle. But I, you know, it was right. it was such a a triumphant day for me.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Fitz, this has been a blast. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, getting the opportunity to hear and share your story. I'm thrilled to hear that uh, things are uh, on the on the upside and on the positive side, and only wish that that continues. Thank you. Uh, you know, as as you go forward, and uh, you know, all the best to you, to your family, and continued good health. I really appreciate you and the generosity of your time to come on and share your story.
1: Thank you. Can I add one more thing? Of course. Of course. So, um with my book, I'm you know, one of the nicest things about the feedback from the book is people who say I wish I had this when I was diagnosed. And so now it's becoming this go-to tool for new cancer diagnoses or or just something fun for survivors which really, you know, they do a lot of head shaking and reminiscing and then a lot of fist pumping too because I let people have it with the weird things they say and do to us. So um, so I'm grateful the book has been a quality con- contributor to the cancer community. But if anyone wants to get it, it's available hardcover, paperback, audiobook, and ebook on all major retailers. So you could go wherever your favorite place is to buy books, Amazon, Audible, whatever. It should be there. However, if you come to fitness.com, that's my site. It's F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S and buy your books. Um, everything that comes through fitness.com is autographed, and you can tell me who to sign it to. It comes with a fun little gift with purchase. With a, It's a big, pretty sticker that says, I can do hard things, and that was my mantra. I always said it in my head, but when I was scared going into a scan or getting a shot or whatever, I would remind myself I can do hard things, and I was constantly saying it, and it really helped. I have my sticker on the back of my phone, But everyone who gets a book at fitness.com gets the autograph, the sticker. And um, if you use the code SURVIVOR, you get free shipping.
0: Fantastic. And I've mentioned fitness.com and your social media platforms in the intro. Great. Uh, But great to know that uh, you've got that offer out there too. So do check that out. All the best to you, Fitz. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lee. The Colon Cancer Coalition has many ways that you can help support this important organization that's doing so much in the world of colorectal cancer. If you visit donate.coloncancercoalition.org, you can find these events that are taking place across the country, and they all have opportunities to participate virtually. We've got Get Your Rear in Gear events where you can run and walk. We've got Tour de Tush bike events. we got a Caboose Cup golf event. So whatever it is that you enjoy doing, wherever you may live, there is an opportunity for you to support the Colon Cancer Coalition. Once again, to learn more about these events and how you can support the Colon Cancer Coalition, visit donate.coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.